This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Insurance Professional Resources. We're pleased to have with us today Anthony Natali III, a shareholder and co-chair of the Medicare Set-Aside Practice Group and supervisor of the Workers' Compensation Department in the Philadelphia Office of Marshall Dennehy. Tony has 31 years of experience defending employers, self-insureds, and insurance carriers in workers' compensation litigation. He focuses on high exposure, complex litigation, including repetitive trauma claims, occupational disease and hearing loss claims, as well as chemical sensitivity claims. Tony is frequently called upon to speak to insurance companies and self-insured employers in the area of workers' compensation and employment law. And Tony, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Thank you, John. Great to be here. Thanks, Tony. Today's discussion will center on workers' compensation fraud. So, Tony, for our first question, what is workers' compensation fraud and how pervasive is it within the United States? When we talk about workers' compensation fraud, acts of fraud are going to be different depending on the party involved. And I'm talking about the claimant, the employer, the insurance company, or a provider. But a definition of fraud boiled down to its most simplest form is this. A person, and when I say person, I mean the claimant, the employer, the insurer, the healthcare provider, or somebody within the workers' compensation system, who knowingly and with intent to defraud engages in the use of false or misleading information or the omission of information concerning any factor or thing material to a workers' compensation claim. Now, that is a standard definition. Uh, It contains some legal mumbo jumbo, but let's give you some examples so you understand what I'm talking about. Um, From the claimant point of view, if an individual claimant is collecting total disability benefits and they testify that they're not working anywhere else and they're totally disabled, um, and then we find out through evidence that the claimant is actually clandestinely working and receiving wages, We have a situation now where a claimant has testified that they're not working, they're really working and receiving wages, they're also receiving temporary total disability benefits, they are now committing fraud. Uh, From the employer standpoint, we have employers who sometimes will misrepresent employee classifications to lower their workers' compensation premiums. I know I was involved in a case where an employer indicated that they had Um, 16 secretaries and two truck drivers when in reality they had 16 truck drivers and two secretaries. You can imagine the difference in the premium there, uh, the so-called premium fraud that sometimes employers engage in. Uh, From a healthcare provider standpoint, we have had orthopedic surgeons who bill for services that they never performed. I remember having a doctor who examined 20 patients at the same time in a large room really didn't examine them, but gave out 20 different reports, 20 diagnoses, and 20 bills. Um, Insurance companies can commit um, uh, workers' compensation fraud. We have had cases where specific insurance adjusters will lead a claimant to believe that their claim is accepted when it's really not accepted, and then try to dismiss the claim based on the um, uh, passing of a statute of limitations. So uh, there are many actors in the system and all have the propensity uh, for fraud. Now, pervasiveness in the United States, 
Uh, the National Insurance Crime Bureau estimates that it is a 30 billion with a B dollar problem every year. It strikes every state or commonwealth or region in the United States. And from the inception of my practice, I always equated workers' compensation fraud with the great white shark. It's always been there. It never had to evolve. And it will continue to feed unless we stop it. So, Tony, why is the workers' compensation system such a fertile ground for fraudulent claims? Well, um, let's talk about the grand bargain between employers and claimants. Um, Many decades ago, the workers' compensation system developed uh, in most states and commonwealths. And there was a two-pronged reason why workers' compensation, uh, the system itself, developed. First, it was designed to help claimants by eliminating long delays for, for the workers in the jury trial process. Uh, anyone who practices in both workers' compensation and also does civil jury trials understands that we can litigate a workers' compensation case in a shorter amount of time than it takes to just complete discovery in a civil matter involving a jury. The second prong or second reason why we have a workers' compensation system in this grand bargain scheme is that it helped employers by eliminating pain and suffering awards. Remember, in workers' compensation, there are no awards for pain and suffering. There are awards for lost time. There are awards for medical. There's awards in some states for specific losses or permanency, but there is no pain and suffering. So it eliminated these possible million-dollar jury verdicts that could come down against employers. Now, as a result of the grand bargain, uh, there have been some unintended consequences, the first being what I call an entitlement complex among the claimant and claimant bar. Based on the grand bargain, most claimants and claimant attorneys feel that the workers' compensation system should be academic in nature, and most, if not all, claims should be granted. Uh, it's dangerous when a party has an entitlement complex because then a party feels justified in saying or doing whatever they can to get benefits because they're entitled to those benefits. Uh, the second unintended consequence is that the venue of workers' compensation has now become a dumping ground for any possible claim that could have any relationship to employment. I'm getting claims where some uh, a claimant will indicate that they have to stand at their job and therefore they're entitled to total knee replacements. Uh, I have had claimants who testified that the union uh, sponsored medical plan will not pay for any type of medical condition unless the claimant first tries to argue that it's work-related. So we see this entitlement complex and this dumping ground making the workers' compensation system a fertile ground for fraud. But it goes further than that. If you look at the Workers' Compensation Act in your state, it is a blueprint for fraud. It's not a coincidence that the type of injury being alleged follows the definition of injury in that particular state or commonwealth as opposed to the actual truth. Um, for instance, in Pennsylvania, it's an aggravation state. So if you aggravate a pre-existing condition, it can be looked at as a new injury. Uh, in uh, if you go uh, over the bridge in one of the states bordering Pennsylvania, 
they may not be an aggravation state. So a claimant may argue a traumatic injury, even if it was an aggravation, to fit within the definition of the state that they're filing the claim in. So what I see is injuries following the definition of injury in the act and the allegations not following the actual truth. Now, a lot of claimant attorneys will tell me that this can put the claimant in a, in a position where they could be prosecuted for fraud. The, uh, the response to that is, then why do so many claimants continue to lie under oath or blatantly commit fraud in the workers' compensation system? And the answer is, as we'll get into later, they can. So they do it. Unless we stop it, they're going to continue to do it. Tony, are there certain industries that are more susceptible to fraudulent workers' compensation claims? Now, in my experience over 31 years, the answer to that question is no. And this is going to seem counterintuitive to an outsider to workers' compensation. When I started in the business, I represented a lot of steel mills. And my gut reaction was uh, fraud is going to show up in claims where individuals have heavy jobs. If you're lifting a 400-pound ingot mold, who am I to tell you that you did not herniate a disc in your back or you don't feel back pain? But um, based on my uh, career, I've handled legal offices, insurance offices. I've handled foundries, hospitals, mushroom farms, professional sports teams. I've even handled um, um, foundries, steel mills, and, and uh, business offices. Fraud is apparent in every setting. There's not one industry that we can say, hey, here's where all the fraud is coming from. So what I do in my cases is when I'm referred to file, um, the type of industry where the claimant works doesn't concern me as much as the background of the claimant themselves. Fraud follows the individual. It doesn't follow the industry. Tony, are there certain types of injury claims that lend themselves to workers' compensation fraud? Um, over the course of my career, I've learned that injuries that have a high subjective basis tend to be the feeding ground for fraud. Uh, for instance, there's a big push over the last 15 years for head injuries, not only where I practice in Pennsylvania, but in all states. Um, it seems now that anyone who alleges a head injury also alleges post-concussive syndrome. Uh, that has invaded the Workers' Compensation Act. Why? The diagnosis for this condition is primarily based on subjective complaints. I have headaches. I have dizziness. I have light sensitivity. None of these can be disproven. None of these symptoms can be disproven by diagnostic testing. Um, I go head-to-head -head with the preeminent claimant neurologist who testifies up and down the East Coast in workers' compensation post-concussive syndrome claims. And I actually had a colloquy with him on the record on cross-examination, where at one point, I think I made him a little bit mad, he indicated to me, you can't prove the claimant doesn't have these symptoms, so I'm going to continue to diagnose and treat him, and I'm going to disable him from employment and continue to bill your client, the insurance company. Now, I ultimately won that case, and we'll get into it a little later of how you do that. But this is the mindset of 
individuals who are alleging injuries that have a subjective basis to them. Nobody can disprove that I uh, am experiencing these symptoms, so this is a perfect area in which I can commit fraud. Uh, mental injuries have the same impact. Depending on the state that you practice in, mental injuries can be compensable under the Workers' Compensation Act. And if they are in your state, look out. Because again, these are subjective bases. Um, uh, claimants can argue, I have a back injury and now I'm depressed because of my back pain. Who are you to tell me that I'm not depressed? It's a, it's a subjective quality. And again, there's ways to beat these claimants and these doctors, but you can see the mindset. So that, that's the area that I concentrate on uh, uh, for fraud um, analysis. And Tony, why is it important to identify and report workers' compensation fraud? Well, at the outset of this podcast, I told you that fraud is a $30 billion per year industry in the U.S. What does that mean to us? And I'm not talking about law firms or insurance companies. I'm just talking about everyday citizens. What does it mean? Well, a spike in fraud cases causes an increase in insurance costs for individuals, employers, medical providers, um, for everyone. So if costs are going to increase because of fraud, then the cost of doing business wherever you live is going to increase. So this is an important issue. Uh, a lot of times I'm angered when I interview coworkers who know that a particular claimant committed fraud, but they don't want to be a quote-unquote rat or they don't want to testify because it's no big deal, according to them. It's not hurting me, is what they tell me. And in reality, it is hurting you. Your, uh, your medical plan premiums are going to go up. Your workers' compensation premiums are going to go up. And who is that ultimately going to hit? It's going to hit the little guy at the bottom of the food chain. So it's very important to identify and to report workers' compensation fraud. Now, part of this fraud epidemic in the insurance industry falls, uh, unfortunately, on the defense side in workers' compensation cases. Um, if you're an attorney and you're fortunate enough that, uh, like I have been, to expose fraud in a lot of cases that I defend, what normally happens next? Um, we really see the insurance industry and the insurance companies trying to shut down litigation, make the case go away. Your goal is to shut down this case. If I produce evidence supportive of fraud and I share it with claimant attorney, the next thing you know, the claim is withdrawn. Uh, end of story. The insurance company says, shut down your file. Uh, I know there's a law firm in Philadelphia that advertises consistently, stating that the only good file is a closed file. And that's only partly correct. We can't keep litigating workers' compensation cases with blinders on, exposing fraud, allowing the fraud to shut down the workers' compensation claim, and then simply closing our file. What we need to do at the end is report the fraud to the authorities or hold the party civilly responsible for the fraud. Reporting uh, to, the, to the criminal authorities is an easy process. You contact the DA or the attorney general. Uh, civil um, fraud cases are a little bit more difficult, but in the end, consider the massive deterrent effect that you would have by reporting workers' compensation fraud. Uh, to be quick, I had a case 
where a hospital worker uh, alleged that she was totally disabled and we found out she was working elsewhere. She withdrew her workers' compensation claim after we presented her evidence that we knew she was working. And then we reported her to the district attorney's office who, who sent an investigator out to actually interview the claimant. She then called all of her co-employees to indicate how she was being investigated for fraud. And you know what? A year later, I got a telephone call from that hospital, and they said they haven't had a workers' compensation claim since that incident for an entire year. So you can see the deterrent effect of reporting and investigating workers' compensation fraud. Tony, one final question today. How can employers combat and prosecute workers' compensation fraud? Well, I'll tell you this. First, I want to start with combating fraud. Um, and I'm going to go back to our friend, the neurologist, who is the top guy on the East Coast. Uh, I never beat up a medical uh, expert on cross-examination by challenging them on medicine. They went to medical school. I did not. I beat them up by challenging them on facts. Uh, our famous neurologist told me that nobody could prove the claimant is falsifying his symptoms of post-concussive syndrome. He couldn't drive because he had headaches. He couldn't go out in the daylight because he had light sensitivity. In fact, we had to do the deposition in the dark in claimant attorney's law office because the claimant was that adver adverse to light. Um, what happened after that is 38 hours of surveillance videotape showing the claimant driving, showing the claimant walking around in the daylight, showing the claimant in office buildings in light without covering his eyes, showing the claimant performing all activities of daily living without a problem. We won that case because the judge saw the surveillance and found that the claimant's um, uh, symptoms were falsified, and we reported that case to the attorney general's office and to the DA's office. So you can see how you can combat claim. Surveillance is a big, big friend of ours on the defense side. If you have a good surveillance investigator, continue to use that investigator because they can help. Uh, Cross-examination is, is a big help with regard to fraud because while claimants uh, tend to lie and tend to falsify their symptoms, you have medical records and you have documentary evidence where you can make the claimant look bad in front of the judge and prove that they are falsifying their symptoms. Um, a final point, teaching management employees and uh, employees beneath the managers about the impact of fraud and how to combat it. Uh, I find when I, I speak at various employers in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, none of them uh, understand the impact of fraud and what it's doing not only to their company, but to the to the act of doing business in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I have had employers come to me telling me they're leaving the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to go to a sister state because the workers' compensation system is better or there's less fraud there. So we need to educate the employers, the managers, and the managers need to educate those who they are supervising so that everyone is aware of fraud and we make it a team effort to eliminate it. Uh, finally, with regard to prosecuting fraud, and I touched on this before, it's a very simple process to criminally prosecute fraud. We're not doing the work. The DA or the AG is doing the work. All you have to do is submit it, and I submit to these entities all the time. I present my evidence, I wrap it up in a bow, and I send it to the Attorney General who will then investigate it. Very simple process. Our firm has created 
a fraud department where we also civilly prosecute doctors and claimants who commit fraud. That is a little bit more of an extended process, but in the end, you get your money back that you were defrauded out of. So um, I think that, uh, that pretty much sums up what we're doing in the area of fraud in the Commonwealth. Tony, thanks so much for joining us today. Very informative podcast. Thank you for having me. You've just listened to Anthony Natali III, shareholder with Marshall Dennehy, and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Vowinkel. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash professional resources. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.